Morning, God bless you. Beautiful morning, albeit a hot and sticky one. First slide, please. Well, when did you last hear a sermon about humility? A bit countercultural, isn't it? Uh, maybe even amongst some Christian thought, which might have imbibed a bit too much worldly how to get on in the world. But the scriptures think it's a jewel. It's a big deal. And I want to try to show you this morning, quite briefly, that it's not what you think. Holy people are humble people. There's not much doubt about that from the scriptures, is there? I don't know what your view is. Perhaps you've imbibed the idea that humility is forever putting yourself down, telling yourself you're rubbish, what you might call worm theology. Uh, there was a lovely um, British evangelist called Tom Reese and his wife wrote his biography and there's a wonderful illustration in the book which i'm afraid i've been unable to find um say so, uh, of a worm on the ground with a trumpet in its hand and the caption is i'm only a wor a worm blowing the gospel trumpet you know with its eyes bulging and so on and so forth this has very little to do with christian humility as i hope to show you it's far more about god than it is about us. Next slide, please. That psalm we read a moment ago, you must have all been out in the night and looked at the sky and just been a bit awed by what you saw. Do you remember Abraham? God took him out and looked, said, look at the stars. If indeed you can count them, so shall your seed be. And here David, who had often slept out of under the stars as a shepherd expressing his worship and his profound gratefulness and yes humility what do you say mark well, hello losing me um humility is like worship oh i'll go even further than that humility is worship it really is humility puts god up it puts him first out of sheer wonder Next one, please. Now we know a bit more than David did, didn't we? Don't we? Those billions of stars you can see, they're a tiny fraction of those that are. That whitish streak across the sky, we now know that's our galaxy end on. We're somewhere out in one of the spiral arms of the galaxy, and it's some 53,000 light years from the center. For our galaxy to make one rotation takes about 200 million years. And we're only one of billions of galaxies. Next one, please. You're looking back into time. The speed of light is fixed, 180,000 miles per second, or approximately 300,000 kilometers per second. So, some of the distances in the universe are so big that when you start looking at them, you're actually seeing them as they were some while ago. For instance, you see the moon as it was a couple of seconds ago, the sun as it was eight minutes ago. If you can see Saturn on the horizon with some binoculars, well, that's what Saturn looked like about an hour ago. There is star, Alpha Centauri, about six years ago. Nearest galaxy to us, Draco 2, 
120 years ago. The galaxy Andromeda, you know, that wonderful, huge spinning wheel, as it was 2.5 million years ago. Furthest detected galaxy, GNZ11, 13.4 billion years ago. You start to feel a little bit small. It's worse because as you approach the speed of light, time slows down. Your mass increases. Is the universe positively or negatively curved? We're not sure. We know so much more, and yet maybe we don't. Next, please. I wonder how this makes you feel. If you're out and you're looking at the stars, you probably think, awesome, amazing, mind-blowing. Hey, I'm really small. This planet is really small. Worshipful God, you made this. That's the work of your fingers, and it's beautiful. You're starting to see what biblical humility is like. It's about putting God in his rightful place. God is God, and he's amazing. He's out there, and yet he is closer to us than our breath. Although he's so great, he hears our thoughts, our words, our hearts. And really, all you can do is bow and adore him. Next one, please. Well, what has this got to do with a traditional idea of humility that we think of ourselves badly and so on? Well, putting yourself down, I don't think that's Christian humility at all. Now, if you feel bad about yourself, there may or may not be reasons for that. You might have been told when you were growing up, well, actually, you're never really going to make anything of yourself, and perhaps internalise that as well. Satan loves to fling your sins in your face, doesn't he? And make you feel, oh, Lord, if only I could be better than this for you. Can I just say he does that to all of us? If you've had a face full of that recently, Please remember, join the club. Do you know why? Because he hates the image of God in you. He doesn't want you to see it. He doesn't want to see God's image in you. But this is not Christianity and we shouldn't make it such. Next one, please. Humility is an outward looking thing, not an introspective thing. It obeys God because God is God. It willingly serves others. It's other-focused. It honours other people above yourself. And I hope you'll begin to see why it's real bedrock, real foundation in the Christian life. There was a guy called Bernard of Clairvaux, about 1090 or thereabouts. He's the guy who wrote, Jesus, the very thought of thee with sweetness fills the breast. But sweeter far thy face to see and in thy presence rest. This is a guy who knows Jesus. And he wrote the three most important virtues, humility, humility, and humility. You know, the world looks at that and it thinks, what? How can you be like that? Because it believes that you should just push other people out of the way, push yourself forward, get what you want, 
and it's a bit Darwinian really, you know, I'm sorry if the others fall off, well that's just life, that's too bad. But humility isn't like that, it's God-orientated. It sees other people in God, as in God's image, and it thinks of them as such, and it's determined to do things God's way. It wants God and his ways, in other words, to come first. And I think this is why Christian writers see it as such a bedrock of faith. Next one, please. Here's a few quotes that I found which I think are pretty good. Andrew Murray, famous Christian writer, put it very nicely when he said, humility is the displacement of self by the enthronement of God. Pretty good, pretty good. I like the next one too. Humility and open-mindedness are a shield to keep your foot out of your mouth. Or humility is the only thing the devil can't imitate. That's pretty good. Because you could say humility is the repentance of pride, really, isn't it? Thomas Merton, pride makes us artificial. Humility makes us real. Humility isn't about denying your strengths. It isn't. It's about being really honest about your weaknesses. Next one, please. The scriptures have quite a lot to say about it too. This is Proverbs. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honour and life. Someone described the book of Proverbs as, as if God had a Twitter account, you know, and can put bite-sized pieces in front of you. Or James saying, God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. And then just recently, weren't we, you're thinking of John the Baptist, you know, the guy who was turning a whole nation round in a wonderful revival. The Lord Jesus appears and he steps back with a big smile on his face. And his disciples come to him and say, hey John, the guy you baptised, all the crowds are going after him now. And he says, yeah, what's wrong with that? He's the bridegroom, I'm the best man. I've managed to get them in love with him, it's great. I feel great today, you see. Did that make John smaller? Oh no. How come the Lord could trust him with so much fame? Because of the way he viewed the Lord Jesus in his word. Next one, please. Do you like acrostics? You may or may not like this one. I think it's quite useful. It's a multifaceted thing. It starts with honouring God above yourself. You come into the Christian faith when you say, God is God, and you know what? I am not. Now that is a big change from the world. It means understanding that you're dependent on grace too. Could you go down with a big splat tomorrow? You know you could. So the word of God says, trust God not yourself. If you say to the world, my text this morning is blessed are those who mourn, they will look at you sideways, won't they? What does it mean? Well, it's repentance as a way of life. Just as we renew our faith each morning and walk on further and learn more about trusting God, so we continuously walk away from evil 
Our whole lives will be like that. Illuminating God's glory rather than our own. Being happy to serve. You know, the way the Lord Jesus got a bowl of water and washed his disciples' feet. Those disciples that had just been saying, hey, who's the greatest amongst us, Jesus? And some of them found it uncomfortable as he washed their feet. The Lord Jesus was keen to. It means ignoring what your pride is poking you to, trusting God's plans over your own, and yearning to worship God. Next one, please. But you might say, well, Mark, I've got to be real. I am a sinner. Why should I not, you know, look at myself and think, gosh, haven't you got a long way to go? I love this quote from C.S. Lewis in Prince Caspian. You come of the Lord Adam and Lady Eve, said Aslan, and that is both honour enough to erect the head of the poorest beggar and shame enough to bow the shoulders of the greatest emperor on earth. Be content. It's a good description of what we are in this world, isn't it? We bear the image of God. From that point of view, we must treat each other like that. We're sinners. We will always be sinners in this life, always penitent and always right with God if we're in the Lord Jesus. That's pure Luther, simul justus et peccata, simultaneously a sinner and right with God. You are a loved sinner. A much loved sinner so much the Lord Jesus came and gave himself up for you God adopted you you into his family and he wants you to reflect him have you noticed in the scriptures when people meet God they don't become smaller they grow like anything and they grow as soon as they bow the knee to God and say your will be done Strange thing, isn't it? Humility doesn't make you smaller. On the contrary, your soul starts to grow. Next. So, next slide, please. So, is there anything God wrong with mourning over sin? No, actually. Contrition is good. It really is. Being honest with God is essential. If you think you can fool God, they'll pardon me saying so, you really are a fool. He knows you back to front. He knows what's behind those words that you use to evade him. He knows what's in your heart and mind. And he's a good father. His response is compassion and guidance. God forgives again and again. Even when you have done pretty awful things. Remember Peter denied his Lord in front of all the Lord's enemies with swearing and cursing. I say, how'd you come back from that? The Lord meets him, asks him, Peter, do you love me? Three times and he says, yes, Lord. And it's gone. God can do that. There is nothing that you have done or not done that in the name of Jesus, God cannot forgive. That is how great God is. 
And he'll be back tomorrow morning with his arm outstretched to you. Humility is reaching out and taking it and saying, yes, Lord, I will walk with you this day. Next one, please. Maybe just take that one step deeper. When you pray, God doesn't just hear your words. You know this thing about body language, that 90% of our communication is non-verbal, which might explain why Zoom isn't as good as being face-to-face -face with people. But you often think, well, okay, God is so great. <laughs> I'm quite little, really. Uh, how can he really care about how I feel? Does he? Well, the Bible has quite a bit to say about tears. Do you remember when Hezekiah was told, uh, actually, this is your last illness. Put your house in order. You're not going to live. You're going to die. And he wept, and he wept, and he wept. And the prophet was not out of the palace when God said to him, turn around, go back, tell Hezekiah, I've heard your prayers and I've seen your tears. I will add to your life 10 years. The weather looking over the last 10 years of Hezekiah's life, that was really a good choice is another question. Can you hear me? There we are, we're back. Um, it says he puts all our tears in a bottle. Precious to him. Humility, you see, before God. It means that God. that better? Is that better? Good. So believe if you weep over your sins, if you weep over a big reverse in your life, whatever it is, I tell you this, your tears are precious to God. If all you can manage is tears, that'll do. God will know exactly what you mean. Just because you cannot find the words you want, God knows what they will be. Next slide, please. Do you want a role model in all this? You need the Lord Jesus. Humility is cruciform. What does that mean? Well, look at the life of the Lord Jesus and how he did it. Submission to the will of God in love. Esteem for and enormous patience with his brethren just read through the gospels and you think do you know that's probably how i would have reacted to they're pretty hopeless aren't they but you see the esteem and the grace he has for them when people offered him signs of worldly acclaim he wasn't having and when he could have accumulated so much for himself he simply had simplicity and gentleness and he gave himself up for his church and in doing so contrasted sharply with all the prideful religious leaders of his day perfectly showing how worship humility love and prayer blend with each other have a read next one please 
I like C.S. Lewis, as you probably gather. He's a bit of a wordsmith, isn't he? This is his account of his coming to faith. You must picture me alone in that room in Magdalen College, night after night, feeling the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. In the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed. Perhaps that night the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. I did not then see what is now the most shining and obvious thing, the divine humility which accepts a convert even on such terms. The prodigal son at least walked home on his own feet. But who can duly adore that love which will open the gates to a, a, a prodigal who is brought in kicking, struggling, resentful, and darting his eyes in every direction for a chance of escape? He's good with his words, isn't it? He, here's a man who fought hard against being a Christian and lost, and was then lost in wonder at the God who loved him. Next one, please. When you say the Lord's Prayer, humility is embedded in this, is it not? Our dear Father in the heavens, hallowed be your name, and so on. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, bowing before God, seeking his glory. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our sins, Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil, confessing just how much we need God for everything. It's actually dynamite stuff when you look at it carefully. If you're saying your will be done, then you're saying if necessary, my will be undone. If you're saying your kingdom come, Lord, you're saying if necessary, Lord, may mine fall over you first because only you are god next one please we've been looking at the shema as well haven't we hero israel shema yisrael adonai elohainu adonai echad hero israel the lord our god the lord is one and you shall love the lord your god this is basic Christian orientation. It's Christian humility. It's saying, God first with all I am and have. And the people round about me, well, this love for God is going to go out in grace to them as well. It's amazing stuff. Next, please. Indeed, you can't really separate these two. Humility is bowing before God in love and worship, yes. But then God has told us, in the same way, love other people as you love yourself. Submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. Clothe yourself with humility. Basic Christian stuff. You will honor other people as in the image of God and as your brothers and sisters in Christ because of God and how great he is. He wants his church to reflect him. All the love, the compassion, the grace, and the kindness. Next one, please. So just to remind you, they do say repetition is a good thing. It's quite a big thing, really, isn't it? Next one, please.
So what do you do in terms of behavior? Well, first of all, you better stop being judgmental. When did you hear a sermon on judge not that you be not judged? It's in the scriptures, isn't it? You might say, well, Lord, if you didn't want me to be judgmental, why did you make me so good at it? In actual fact, God is saying, take your hands off. Don't you sort it out. You'll make a mess of it. I will sort out what's wrong. You respond in grace and mercy and kindness. It's when you've got the upper hand in a situation and you choose mercy. It's mourning for your own sin. And when someone sins against you, realizing, you know, it could have been the other way around. You could have done that. You could be the guilty party today. It means I will honor God above myself and I'll honor his will above mine own. Next one, please. I'm coming to the end, honest. So in God's community, the church, you don't have to be a personality, all right? Jesus is enough personality for us. He really, really is. We're not a club. The world understands clubs, people who get together because they're like each other. They've got a common interest. They just quite enjoy doing stuff together. That's straightforward. The church isn't like that, is it? As we were seeing this morning in our prayers, it cuts across languages, races, sex, income, IQ, politics, disabled or not, denomination. We don't choose each other. We're chosen by Christ to be together. And that's how we have to live. Now, it is pretty easy to form a clique within a church and try and turn it into a club. But stop and think, is that God's intention? And it's not. We are a community too, created by forgiveness, aren't we? All of us are here today because our sins are forgiven in the name of the Lord Jesus. Well then, we mustn't break the bridge over which we ourselves have to pass. We have to learn to forgive freely to take our hands off, let God sort out the evil in it. To refuse to forgive actually strikes at the heart of what the Christian community is. Next, please. So in the church, you're a strong-willed person. That in itself isn't evil. But we won't necessarily insist on our own way. We will in honor prefer each other and learn from each other. We will say sorry and forgive. So many church schisms are due to personalities. We should have a holy fear, rather, of tearing the body of Christ. We will esteem each other better than ourselves and serve each other gladly. We'll encourage and pray and help to shoulder each other's burdens. The church doesn't follow humans, however good they may be. Do you remember Paul's indignation in 1 Corinthians? Was Paul crucified for you? Did Apollos rise for you? You must only follow Christ, not a human being. If serving others in the church is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. That's God's society. Because we will continuously have this urge somehow to feed our egos, 
Now, this is something I found on Facebook and I thought was really good. Next, please. If you want to feed the hungry, well, jolly well go and feed the hungry. But once you put it on Facebook, you're feeding your ego. I thought that was quite good, really. Christianity is not about our egos. Now, let me put my head on the chopping block. Next, please. The Word of God strides straight into our closest relationships. A lot of people get steamed up about what Paul says in Ephesians 5 about husbands and wives. But if you read chapter 4, you wouldn't, because it's all about submitting to one another out of reverence for God. Okay, even in your close, intimate relationships, God wants you to be like him. So this will mean preferring each other and giving yourself up for each other. It will mean forgiving each other quite a lot, compassionately, being grateful for each other, warts and all, of being prepared to serve each other. Now, a lot of the time, that's easy, and it's joyful, out of a heart full of love. But all you married folks here this morning know, sometimes it's not, and we have to behave in a godly way out of reverence for Christ. And it's the same in the church as well. You know, you husbands, you have a much rougher time in that passage than wives. Essentially, what Paul says to wives is respect your husband. Because, do you know what, contempt is a big marriage breaker. To the husbands, he says, Christian man, go and give yourself up for your wife. Everything you are and have, grace her with it. I mean, you did promise her that, didn't you? Next one, nearly there. Okay, so how do we show humility to folks around about us who are not yet believers? We're respectful, we're kind, we listen well. We talk much about Jesus, but not much about ourselves. And all the times when you want to give them a piece of your mind and tell them how far off the mark they are, you reach out and give them a piece of your heart instead. Because the people out there need our saviour. They don't need our strictures. A lot of them will know deep down, no, I'm not right. I'm not right. And we need to paint a picture of our saviour that's so beautiful that they want to say, gimme. I want to know this Jesus. We show them what a community of forgiven sinners is like. Next slide, please. One more time, folks. Last slide, please. This guy was a long time ago, too. 14th century, Bianca de Siena, the guy who wrote Jesus, the very thought of thee, with sweetness fills the breast, but greater far thyself to see, and in thy presence rest. He also wrote, come down, O love divine, reach thou this soul of mine. And the second verse is, let holy charity mine outward vesture be, and lowliness become my inner clothing. True lowliness of heart, which takes the humbler part, and o'er its all short, own shortcomings, weeps with loathing. Because humility is all about love. God bless you.